Dear Church Podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. We are live here on the Dear Church Podcast. It's Monday morning, and it is uh, November the 1st. And so we are uh, starting this podcast off. Uh, guys, how did your Sunday go? Pretty awesome. We had a good uh, good day in the Lord's house and had some guests come. And actually, it was a guest that I had invited through a text message. Long story. They said, I'll be there. And you know how that is. Yeah. <laughs> Usually in person, people say, I'll be there. They don't show up. but And they did. And um, so we're... We had a good week. We did our second fall in love Sunday. We do with our couples ministry two Sundays in October. We call them fall in love Sundays and preach on marriage and um, have a good time with that. You have a gift away. I should have a guy come in and do that for our church sometime. Yeah, I I, I can't think of anybody that could help you with that, though. No, I got to find a qualified candidate first. Definitely. (laughs) We had a calm Sunday. Um, It was a sweet Sunday, though. Good. Martin? Yeah. That was a good day. Um, again, it was just a, a normal Sunday, but a really good spirit. And my my family sang a special yesterday morning, and they sounded good. And it was uh, it was great, great day. Yeah, we had um, 18 first responders, doctors, and nurses in attendance yesterday. It was really awesome. Our church did such a good job, and they reached out and had visitors, and uh, we gave everybody a twenty five dollar um, mission barbecue. Do you guys have mission barbecue where you're at? unfortunately no okay well i just this came in the offering it was returned by one of them and so I, i'm thinking that it's it's an offering that should go to the pastor i don't know i mean we can't put it in the bank i vote i vote yeah, absolutely for the next Someone time the, the dear church podcast gets together that's, that's hey there we go there we go and it we is don't have a mission barbecue or much at all where i am <laughs> but I you do have deer hunting where mission you are barbecue. right Martin? was that steven I, I said you do have deer hunting where you're at right martin Oh yeah, plenty of deer hunting, and you go about an hour and a half north as elk hunting. Oh, so it's November. I'm, matter of fact, I'm a little bit bitter that we even scheduled this today. The cold front moved through last night, and I'm not in the woods. So uh, if we could hurry this up, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll say this: I went in the Mission Barbecue in Chicago area when we did our Chicago Couples Retreat, asking to see if they would donate something, and they donated generously. But yes, I was there, do. like I was there right at noon, and all of a sudden they're like doing the financial anthem and yeah it was it was an interesting thing you know i talked about our fall in love sunday and preaching on marriage and i feel like the worst husband in the world right now because i have this um possum growing on my face here um, yes trying to fit in with the guys but i'm glad you told us because otherwise we would have just (laughs) felt you were sick or something i don't know yeah yeah I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say right now, for those who will listen later, and it's just audio, Steve is growing quite the impressive beard. Steve, you've been working on it for about a, about a month, and it's you got yeah. about an eighth of an inch? Is that yeah, right? something like that. You keep it's using the word impressive. Not. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, Martin forgot to shave two days, and he's got that beard going. I mean, well, so if you can re- grow a beard. If you remember our episode, I think it was the very first episode, we're all introducing one another and all of us, but Steve have beards. And he says the reason he can't grow a beard is why? Looks like it a looks- possum on chemo. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm starting to believe him. I, I really I know. am. <laughs> I know. It's awesome. Well, we need to get into the subject matter of the day. Before we do, we have some feedback and fan mail to go over and our folks who listen and um, both uh, 
both critics and fans, honestly, we're thankful for the feedback, regardless of whether it's um, uh, helpful or hurtful. <laughs> and so, Tom, you always uh, take the helm on that. Why don't you uh, share some feedback with us this morning? Uh, all right. So I've compiled some stuff um, from episode seven, which was the episode about uh, don't quit. Uh, one listener responded, uh, this one really hits home uh, to me. Um, talked about feeling like a failure um, because people don't respect this one particular pastor feeling like a failure because people don't view him as successful. Um, one guy said his biggest battle as far as quitting uh uh, has would have been for us just to go back to safety where everyone else believed in practice like we do. Uh, what he meant was he was in a strong church for a long time, then he left it to go take a struggling work, and his family was struggling. They all wanted to go back. You know, they felt like everybody in their little church, their new little church, was against them. And that idea of 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 wanting to go back to where you were, where things were easier, um, is a is a fairly frequent thing. And then this came up in one of these conversations I had with one particular pastor. He told me he was his biggest discouragement was having being stuck at a certain attendance perpetually for a very long time. It doesn't matter what the attendance is. He was just stuck at that particular one. And he, he spoke of really struggling to try to deal with that. So I, that's one of the things I wanted to throw at you three fellows and see, you know, have you ever felt that where you're stuck at a certain attendance? Did it bother you? How did you deal with that? How would you sort of advise that guy to deal with that? that feeling of, you know, I've been at the same spot on attendance for several years. Do you have a, any of you have a response to that? I think some of it, thinking of my context back in Brimpton in England, it was a tiny village, um, a large population if you would get 15, 20, 25 minutes away. But I felt like we'd sometimes have a new family start attending and then another family moves out and one individual begins to attend and then somebody else passes away and, so it felt like we we stayed at the same. We were adding people and losing right. people. And I think you, you never want to give up hope or the aspiration or the effort. But sometimes I think you do need to look at where you are. And if you've got a tiny population around you, that's going to have an impact. Um, but I think sometimes your your processes, your your structure may limit your growth if you as a pastor are trying to do it all. By delegating, you can multiply leadership, and then they can then multiply the ministry that you can do, and that can help with with growth. Yeah, um, I don't want to say I don't know if, if my perspective really fits in that conversation. I think um, one of the things that kind of caught me off guard is our church grew. Okay, so we we've yeah. been we have been growing, uh, but what is interesting to me now, and I have to learn not to get discouraged about this, is that. Now the church, the size, we, we have about 300 people every Sunday, but that usually means that there's 50 people who I would consider to be regular faithful people, at least 50 people gone every week. It's mind-blowing, and that part I've had to train my mind to realize, and I've talked to some other pastors who've experienced that, and I think they let it discourage me at first, but now I realize, okay, so it's somewhat of a normal thing uh, as you grow. That, that fascinates me, um, church growth. Um, kind of uh, metrics and things that you tend to see in, in almost every case. I like to study those things. And apparently that's, that's a thing. So. I, I, my response to him was sort of in line with Martin's in the sense of um, I told him that when you're stuck at a certain attendance, generally speaking, and that's, this is very general uh, because there's lots of exceptions to it. It has to do with the fact that you are stuck personally. And the only way that your attendance is going to grow is if you grow. So you've got to choose an area of yourself that's weak 
Um, and specifically, maybe it's your scheduling, maybe it's your delegation, maybe it's your certain areas of the church you're not administering correctly, maybe it's some spiritual area you're not praying enough. And that sounds really, really broad and harsh. But the idea is that as you improve yourself, as you grow, as God grows you, then God allows you oftentimes uh, to have an expanded ministry. Not always true, but sometimes true. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Plus it is an opportunity. And I know in my case, um, you know, I almost could have wrote that question in some respects. Yeah. I haven't quite seen the fruit in the years I've been here that I saw in a little small town in Iowa, but God has expanded our ministries. He's brought us along and it's not always about raw numbers um, as much as sometimes it's the amount of influence you can have as well as God builds a man before he builds a ministry. And sometimes God, and and I think it, I think it's foolish just when you're stagnant like that, just to say, well, it's time to be faithful and not ever examine or look at, you know, what you could be doing wrong and, you know, take, take time to, you know, I have to interject with some of our feedback that's coming in right now. First of all, uh, Levi Armacost says, Steve, that has to be embarrassing drinking out of that mug after Saturday. And so you, I wanted to pass that along here. Uh, Levi's finds- a brilliant young man. Hey. <laughs> Deep uh, wisdom hey. and insight, though. Yeah. They're coming back. Un- Unwise Ape, your favorite Anon, is watching. And he says he finds it offensive that Bambi's daddy's hanging on my wall. And that is uh, wow. directly behind my head there. And then um, Steve Clark says that my church is growing because of the liberal lighting. And so I thought I would throw that in there. Um, I'm hollering, amen. Another time he sees that. And, and this one, this one's actually substantive. So I'll, I will change from humor to seriousness. Someone says I've not pastored a church, David Peterman, uh, in a long while, where I could have 50 people gone. And and I want to just kind of say that you know I understand that. That's why I was like, I'm not sure my perspective fits here. Um, but new levels, new devils. That's what I say to people mm-hmm. when they talk about that. And they say, well, you know, you have more people, so things must be going better. And I love our church, but I tell people, well, more people, more problems, more new levels, new devils. Um, I think it's challenging any stage you're at, but the the question goes back to what Tom, the feedback goes back to what Tom was saying and, and what our what our listener was relating. Uh, and I think it's very relevant um, to to focus on that. So that's that's some of the good um, good. And then Scott, Scott says this, he goes, do we perhaps focus too much on quantity versus quality? And I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, because scripture says it, our, our work will be tried for what sort it is, not what size it is. Uh, amen. It was a, it was a good day for me when I figured that out. Yeah, I, we've we've had this. If I could interject one thing, we've always had a mentality because my grandfather, who pastored here, was a visionary, and he would say, "You know, our greatest days are ahead." And I like that. I'm not doing away with that thought. Right. I told our church last night. I said, "Man, I, I do believe our greatest days are ahead, but we're having some pretty good days right now. Let's not miss what God's doing right now." I think yeah. sometimes we we tend to focus on the ones who aren't there and it discourages us. And then we take it out on the ones who are. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I know I have been in that position before where I had to learn a long time ago. You focus on the ones who show up, not the ones who didn't come. Um, okay. And it's a burden, but it's a burden for Monday morning, not for Sunday morning. Right. So I think it's worth thinking as well that there are seasons of growth yeah. and, mm-hmm. and constant growth if you're not ready for it. Mm-hmm. can actually be counterproductive because if you have yeah. a large influx of people and you can't assimilate them, you can't disciple them, then you may struggle to maintain that growth. So especially in a, a smaller church, short, you know, steady growth, different seasons of growth can actually be more beneficial than quickly jump into high numbers. Um, 
and 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 you're right different different attendance levels come with different challenges mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah you know i've said for years to to my church and even my family is every time in the moment i say we're living in the good old days and that's that's always a reminder we are living in the good old days you know, so you some uh, other feedback the other episode, really, that we get a lot of feedback about, and I, I don't want to take a lot of time with this here because I think it could get us just too far off course what we want to really major on today, but was the episode we did on politics. So we got feedback that was pretty passionate, mm-hmm. uh, not inappropriately so, I mean, uh, but but pretty pretty passionate on, on both sides of that, uh, which was perfectly fair. Um, one fellow wrote, a missionary wrote from overseas, he said, so I was listening to the Patriotism podcast. It wasn't a podcast about patriotism. It was about politics. But anyway, I almost shouted from sheer frustrated joy hearing someone finally say something about so many missionaries being Christian colonizers. I would love if you just park there one of these weeks. And I would like to explore the whole idea of missions. And I think we need to interview some missionaries. I think we've talked about that as a group. And then he said, this one, this one cracked me up. He must have been listening in the middle of the night. He said, almost woke up the family. I thought that was great. Um, <laughs> he was He was so passionate about what he was hearing. He almost woke up his entire family. So whether you let your family sleep through our podcast or you wake them up or please you're listening one way or the other, we look forward to hearing from you. And one thing I wanted to follow up on that episode is I, I kind of mentioned about having seen the issues with that, but I didn't kind of follow up by saying that I also know some incredible missionaries that I, I count as personal heroes. I mean, they're modern day Hudson Taylors. And, and so if they ever hear me say anything and don't get to the other half of the sentence, there are problems, but there's also some incredible people out there doing the work as well. So just from mm-hmm. my, my reflection on what I said, I don't want to be too one-sided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other feedback we constantly receive is that Martin doesn't talk enough. So for whatever that's worth. I'm going to be jumping in, interrupting everyone. I mean, you won't be able to uh, keep me quiet this time. Wow. Awesome. I'll, I'll be balanced. I'll be, I'll be, uh, we'll, we'll say fair and balanced. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of patriotism. Oh boy. Speaking of yeah. politics. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, we, um, if it's okay, we'll, we'll just go ahead and move forward here, guys. Um, one of the, one of the hot button topics of our day. And before we wrapped up our season, we wanted to touch on it, knowing that this is probably part one and part Two, maybe, I don't know, we may deal with aspects of this in the future. It may not be episodes, uh, but we do, we want to provide kind of a, a take, um, if you will, and we want to look at with, uh, with objective eyes the subject of church abuse because it's become such a hot button topic. Um, it's become relevant, if I can say that, and there's a lot of focus on it today. And so, guys, you know, we, we just, briefly touched on this. We got on a little early and just kind of laid out an outline, but most of this is just going to be from our heart today. Um, and the structure of it will be somewhat organic and, and it will, uh, we'll figure it out as we go. Um, but I, I thought we, we would start today and, and I'll let one of you guys kind of kick it off, uh, with that topic, a very serious topic, heartbreaking topic on, um, how do you handle church abuse? How do you improve uh, and then what is it? I think we have to start with the definition because there's so much out there by way of definitions that we've, we've got to nail it down before we begin the conversation. I think we wanted to say that because we might delve into some sensitive subjects, we know some people listen to it with their, with children around and, and you know, we're not 100% sure where we may go with the conversation. So it's worth keeping that in mind 
if you may be listening with kids around. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. So who wants to start us off and, and talk a little bit about the definitions and, and what they are? Steve, so you had, and I don't want to throw you under the bus here, but you had abuse personally in your past. Mm-hmm. And I think you can speak perhaps the best of all of us to what it is, what it does to you. Yeah, um, it definitely is something that brings about true hurt. Um, And I think as we talk about what is abuse, we got to remember that when someone makes that accusation, that should always be taken seriously. And I'm probably jumping ahead of of in in how to deal with it. Um, But it is when it's when someone is is hurtful to you for their own benefit. Mm. And that's where it can come. You know, it can come from emotional levels. It can come from spiritual levels, obviously physical, you know, like hurtful hitting type abuse. And then there's the sexual type abuse. Um, And, you know, we're, we can't deal with all of that in this episode, but we do plan to deal with the general principle of when someone uses their position and maybe they don't even have a position, but they're more powerful to basically hurt you for their benefit. That, that's a, that can be a very damaging thing. And I, I, uh, you know, I recognize because of that, people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to come out and, and um, you know, that's why I think when someone does come out, we need to take it very seriously. Mm -hmm. I never experienced physical abuse. I, I was in a situation for a while. I don't really want to get into detail about it. I don't think it's helpful that I would consider um, spiritual abuse. It was, it was extremely manipulative and harsh. Um, so I, I do think I've experienced that part of it, but I have not certainly tasted what many, many people have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Martin, you kind of had a, an outline of, the different types of abuse, if I recall, that was you. Is that correct? Yeah, and it's, it's pretty much what um, Steve just covered there. So there there is the spiritual aspect, which I think is within churches, I, I would say is probably the most prevalent kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that ties in very closely with emotional abuse and something that, you know, whether it's this episode or another, we can look at is kind of on the flip side, how many individuals in a congregation may emotionally abuse their pastor because i think from that dynamic that's what a lot of pastors will go through is is emotional abuse um then there's the physical variety and then sexual and steve kind of spoke about authority figures and and someone who's more powerful and i think that's the the dynamic that sees you there somebody who either does have a power and authority or position or they feel like they do and you know, an outwork and of that can be the, these kind of four kinds of abuse. So, and I think so it's worth say, ahead, well, I think it's worth saying that there is a, there is a fair amount of this in um, it's wider than the independent Baptist orbit, but that's, that's who we're talking mm-hmm. to, right? The independent right. Baptist orbit. Uh, and I, I did some research one time on PTSD and it's interesting how much um, I've, I've dealt with in my life and in helping other people deal with things 
and their symptoms or or how they how how it manifests in their life is that same right. way. And there was a brother who preached a message a couple of years ago about that titled spiritual PTSD. And he was he was he had dealt with it a lot and I thought it was helpful. But that idea just proves that there there's a fair amount of it in, in our background as independent Baptists. So sadly. if we could, I think I think those four types, if we could, we really need to drill down and define. Um, starting with the spiritual abuse, because that to, that one to me is the hardest one for me um, to process. I, I don't feel like I've ever been in a truly spiritually abusive situation. So that that's part of why. And I'll, I'll be honest about that and transparent. Um, but we also can get so that's the broadest. That's the one that, that ends up with the broadest definitions, because everybody defines it subjectively. And that's not a criticism. Um, it's just a matter of I want to really drill down and see if we can't come come up with a reasonable summary of what is spiritual abuse. And maybe we need some examples and we're going to keep these things kind of yeah. nameless. But but what is it? You know, Look, that, that... I'd like to give one more caveat and let's dive into this that sure. we, we don't come as experts here today, um, but we have thought through this and I've been an observer observer of it. And I've talked to people that have been through it. Um, Mm -hmm. as brother Tom brought up, it's something I've experienced. And, um, in the fact that we we're here also to, to open a discussion. And if you're listening to us and we get something wrong, we'd love, certainly love to hear back from you because, um, Mm -hmm. we're here also to grow. And, you know, frankly, I Mm -hmm. personally, I don't know how you guys feel. I'm a I, I'm, a, I'm afraid to delve into this topic to some extent, because I know from experiences, some, I mean, people have been hurt and they're passionate and, yeah. um, and because of that, you know, but I, I just don't want through this episode to hurt people. So right. if it does hurt you, I'd like to know, contact me, personal message me, call me. I'll, I'll share my cell phone number with you if need be. Yeah. Um, and at the, re- at the I, recording of this, we are live and I'm, I'm confident we're going to hear here's some things I'm keeping an eye on comments and things right now. Sure. And so just so our listeners know, if you throw a comment out there, we may kind of bring it up. And so just, just be right. aware of that. Um, I think spiritual abuse then if we, sorry, Stephen, yeah. I, I would say spiritual abuse is when it, it is something almost unique to um, pastors, church leaders, because I think it's using your position in a church. It's using, misusing teachings in the Bible for your own advantage and to control other people. Um, I was in a church in, uh, it was, it was in Georgia a number of years ago and the pastor had developed a conviction against birth control and he preached that. And so there were a number of very large families in that church and just some of the things that developed from that, you know, and, and so this isn't a conversation about, you know, birth control, but if it's being preached from the pulpit, you must not use birth control. You must have large families. And then that's perceived as being, well, that's God's will because that's what's being preached. You know, that can put a lot of pressure on families. And, and I'm sure there are numerous other examples, but I think it's, it's that blending of, you know, a, a man's position and mixing it up with spiritual teachings. I think... I think spiritual abuse is when a, is when a pastor or, or a religious leader tries to do what the Holy Spirit's job is. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah. he's sincere. He desires to accomplish something he genuinely believes is biblical and good, but he forces it. 
and he pushes and he manipulates and he intimidates and he he doesn't minister he doesn't lead he doesn't teach he doesn't explain he doesn't love someone to the point of growth he forces it because he doesn't see it happening whether it's soul winning or whether it's that's what i experienced it was it was under a ministry of a guy who wanted wanted numbers and pushed us everlastingly unreasonably uh, we were broke broke college students and he made us broker and you know and, and again he's grown since then and i'm not upset at him if he if he if he listens to this i'm genuinely not but i think his heart was sincere he really wanted to see results but he was he was forcing something that was the holy spirit's task mm. let me play yeah. it's when you're perceived as being a religious authority and you use but, that to right. to get what you want and i think what you, you the way you summed it up tom was great i think that's good and i I, I think that hits, you just hit on something that I would say spiritual abuse is ultimately an abuse of trust because you're in a position of thus saith the Lord, you're preaching the Bible. And if you start to say things that are not biblical and force and control with those things, and then people, mm-hmm. and it's really not even naively because they should be able to trust their pastor. They should mm-hmm. be able to trust what God says. And when you don't give them the latitude or the individual soul liberty and as Baptists, that's mm-hmm. what we should be giving to people Amen. and to allow people to grow. Mm-hmm. People for years would buy into that and follow that and, you know, wholeheartedly make that their life. And then they come to find out that's not the way they've been led. And they, you know, and I look at people like that. And in the past, I used to be like, well, that's your own fault for letting yourself be stuck in that. But, that's foolish to say that because I've learned that because there's really definite hurt from people that sincerely and with all their heart were in that position. And then for years, and that, that also can well up in and really damage them spiritually into the future. Kind of like Tom, you hit on, you know, someone talking about spiritual PTSD. Um, it can really, I mean, it's an abuse of trust. So, and if I could play devil's advocate just for the sake of the conversation today, you know, um, what do you do with a leader who God's gifted? He's persuasive. Um, where where do you you know? Because here's the here's the thing we have to acknowledge, right? Strong leadership or motivated people or men who have, who have, see great accomplishments in ministry usually are always accused of right. being manipulative. Okay. Yeah. I- so where where's the line here? And I think what we're doing, and you guys correct me because we can we can just kind of work our way through this together. I think we're dealing with both the spiritual and the emotional at the same time. Is that fair? Well, I think okay. spiritual abuse so. produces yeah. emotional. It, yeah. It, emotional that's issues. That's how it hurts you. Yeah. But, but where do we, so, okay. If a guy comes and says to me, well, you're a dictator and uh, I don't like the way that, that you preach that sermon and you're this, that, and the other, what do I do about that? If, especially if God, you know, guides me, I know we don't like to say, well, you know what uh, this God told me. And I'm very careful to say that. Uh, I have on occasion said, well, I really feel God is leading me very specifically in this area when I do feel that way, not for the sake of manipulating, but for the sake of explaining, I really feel strongly about this. Uh, I'm afraid that if we're not careful, this conversation could produce some toothless, gutless pastors. Don't Are, are you guys You're right. feeling yeah, that? I, and we, we, we're witnessing the emasculation of our society and mm-hmm. strong male leadership mm-hmm. is many times being defined that way. And if I had any message to anyone listening that's the me- a member of a church, you you need to know God and you need to fear God 
And compared to God, your pastor's a pipsqueak and I'm a pastor. Okay. And, and us as pastors, we, you know, we have peer pressure from other pastors and older preachers and I look up to them, but you know, I, I have a relationship with God that I'm not, I don't want to let a man make me afraid of following God. And I'm not afraid to say that as a pastor, you know, and I, I love the three of you and we have a lot of pushback. And in our private conversations, you guys like to push at me because you, you like to test what's right and true. But, (laughs) but the fact of the matter is, what are you talking about? Are you trying to get out ahead of something here? I mean, Honestly, compared to God, what does it matter what you guys think? Compared to God, what does it that, matter no, what Dr. So-and-so thinks? I mean, but, to me, that, that's part of a formula to... What does the scripture say, Steve? And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm challenging you not for the sake of challenging you, but, you know, every man is, is convinced of his own way, but his neighbor comes and questions him, right? So, okay, let's, let's use that. Okay. If we're not careful, we can use the, well, God is my only authority, and then we exclude our church members' opinions. We exclude our their heart. Uh, there have been times I've known that, you know what, this is where we need to go, but it's going to take some time for some people to see it. I don't want to go there unless mm-hmm. we can bring people along. You know? right. uh, and, of course, our friendship among the four of us is not not the true example of that. And Steve knows I'm just giving him a hard time here a little bit. Uh, either that or he really is trying to get out ahead of us on something and, and establish himself as the bulldog today. Uh, but, I think there are uh, two important two important concepts in this to, to avoid spiritual abuse ourselves is number one, make sure we can prove everything from the Bible. And, mm-hmm. and I understand we, we've talked about whether we can use a single chapter and verse, and that's going to be a, a, a never ending conversation. And, but at least have a principle that we can draw from the Bible and say, okay, you know, this is the principle that we're applying here. And if we can't show it from the Bible, then, you know, that's, that's us, not God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the the second thing is, um, you know, training our congregations to to challenge us, you know, and, and respectfully, Amen. but Amen. to come back to us and say, hey, pastor, I didn't understand yeah. that or I don't see it that way. Um, mm-hmm. And and just making clear, yeah. and this is really something we take for granted, I think, in our circles is encouraging people to know the Bible themselves. Yep. Uh, there was a Roman Catholic convert on you in Sunderland. And she had been a Roman Catholic all her life. She, she met an American missionary. He shared the gospel. She got saved. And I met her like a week later. And she was hopping mad at the priests because she said, you know what? Because I'd said to her, hey, you know, read the Bible for yourself. But this is what, what we believe. And she was like, all you guys keep saying that. All you pastors, you Baptists, you keep saying mm-hmm. read the Bible for yourself. She's like, I'm going to go and see my priest and ask him why he's yeah. never told me to read my Bible. And, and we actually have that going on right down. now. We've got that going on right now with a new convert. And they're like, what in the world? Um, just yeah. butting in here for just a moment. We're getting feedback. Uh, Brother Alvis here from uh, West Virginia. I'm going to get this wrong. Virginia or West Virginia. I'm sorry. I know that offends you if you're from Virginia and I said West Virginia or vice versa. But he says, finding the balance between taking the oversight and loving leadership, saying, thus saith the Lord with authority, but accepting godly input without compromising God's truth. Um, feedback on Facebook is actually phenomenal. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to share a couple here. Um, There's some great comments on that. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Virginia. I'm sorry, brother Petty or brother Alvis, uh, Virginia. Um, here's one, uh, from, uh, your favorite Anon, Steve, spiritual abuse in my eyes is using God or the Bible as a means to control or manipulate people. Okay. 
Scott Petty says, my input is that spiritual abuse equals manipulation or control by a spiritual authority to enhance their ministry and or reputation. Mm. He says, by, t- by way of testimony, this is public comment, so I'm sharing it here. I had a respected pastor sit across his desk from me, tell me there was no call of God on my life. I should put aside any dreams and serve in his ministry. Nearly destroyed me, took years to recover. And so worth noting there. Um, uh, Caleb Adkins says, there's nothing wrong with being a, quote, strong leader, unquote. Honestly, we should be. And I agree with that, Caleb. Uh, Matt Martinez says, abuse hurts others by definition. Spiritual leadership must recognize that it's always hurtful to take the Lord's place in another individual's life. We're called to lead, not replace. And I would say this, that the Bible talks about all of the callings that, you know, some pastors and teachers and all of that for the edifying of the body of Christ, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's that's a great one. They're keep, they keep coming in here. Um, this is David Velasquez. He's listening and watching right now. He says, a good definition for Michael Kruger is that spiritual abuse then is when a spiritual leader, such as a pastor, elder, or head of a Christian organization, wields his position of spiritual authority in such a way that he manipulates, domineers, bullies, and intimidates those under him as a means of accomplishing what he takes to be biblical and or spiritual right. goals. Do we agree? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Um, I think something else I was going to go to is the consequence that the spiritual leader or authority puts on not listening to him. Yeah. And, and again, because you're in a respected position, if you put a consequence, then that, that can make people fearful yep. and that can be very manipulative. And this is yeah. a good comment that I, I want to just interject here before we go forward, because I think it could shape the conversation from, from a good perspective here. Brock Henry um, says, please give scripture for spiritual abuse. Many modern day Christians would have considered the apostle Paul spiritually abusive or manipulative. Mm-hmm. That's so that that goes back to the devil's advocate I was playing earlier. Yeah, I, I would I would say scriptural support would be First Peter five, neither being lords over God's heritage but being examples. Okay. Um, and I think that deals a little bit with also also the sphere of pastoral authority. We you know we use that word, and I I find it personally. I don't know how you guys handle it, and I have pastor friends that are different that act like you get your pastor's permission about all kinds of things, even ministry decisions. I don't, you know, your pastor can give you counsel, but that's different than I got to do what my pastor says. Now, I think I have a sphere of authority to be the Bishop of United Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. And I'm going to use that because I have a responsibility that no one person runs United Baptist Church. And in a, in a sense, it includes myself, not in a sense, it does include myself. I don't get my way around here. But so within the four walls of our building and in the ministries of our church, there's, there's quite a bit of authority, but as far as like telling people what God's will is for their life and whether they should buy this car or move or, but you know, I, that goes back a little bit to, I Mm -hmm. think a discussion we had on a previous episode and that is, you know, um, your, your pastor should give you counsel. And if you're making a big decision in life, I think it's dumb not to talk to your pastor. I'm amazed by people that do that, but I think sometimes they're afraid that the pastor's going to tell them what right. to do or be mad at them if they don't do what he says he'll do. And I just, I just so much of it's limited. Go ahead, Martin. Because I think Paul limited his his influence himself in First Corinthians eleven one. He said, "Be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ." Mm-hmm. So he didn't want just like a blanket, you know, do what I tell you to do. 
So I think that's one thing to consider that we follow him, you know, as an example, but Christ is our yeah. ultimate goal and, and model. But as well, he was a, an apostle with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the, I think the comparisons, you know, we have to be very careful with. I think too, if, if we could say, let's, let's go back because it's important that we do have scriptural support for this lordship uh, versus leadership. Okay. Nothing wrong with being a strong leader, but when we cross the line into becoming a Lord over the flock, that looks like something. What does that look like? Brock is saying we need scriptural support for spiritual abuse because, and this is what I was getting at earlier is that we get called anyone who's motivated anyone who's passionate is will be at some point accused of being uh, manipulative. And we need to make sure we nail this down. So what does that look like? What is the difference? Where is the line? Okay. <laughs> I, I think perhaps, perhaps part of that comes back to control for me to preach something forcefully. One of the things I love about the King James is the phrase, thus saith the Lord. Mm -hmm. It's a very, mm -hmm. very forceful phrase. And when you're preaching what God says, being forceful, and then seeking to lead your church in the direction of what God says. But mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't have any control over any man in my church, any lady in my church, any child in my church. Once the, the, the assembly is done and we dismiss, I don't have control over any of that. Mm -hmm. And I think when you try to exert control over their life, or you teach and train them that you should be controlling them, I right. think that's the place where you're, you're being abusive. And, and that's, as that is incumbent then upon us when we give counsel, there are, I can take them to a certain point in counsel, right? I can say, thus saith the Lord. I can say, here are biblical principles. I can say, this is what we see in scripture. You may want to pray about applying this passage in your situation. But I have on multiple occasions looked at someone and said, but ultimately the only one who can tell you the answer to your question is the Lord. And you have got to seek him for yourself. That is not appreciated. It's funny because some, and okay, let me throw this out there. Do, do you think sometimes abusive pastoral leadership is birthed out of Christians who refuse to get God's mind for themselves? Yes. It's yes. lazy. It's easier. Yes. Yeah. I think that opens the door to it. Yep. There, there are just lazy Christians. They, they'd rather be told. And, but that then develops into, you know, giving the pastor free reign that he mm -hmm. then maybe wields and other people. But I was thinking about the atrophies in third John. You know, he, he loves to have the preeminence. He was he was kind mm -hmm. of exerting control in that local assembly for his own ends. And yep. he loved the preeminence rather than loving God and loving people. Um, and that, I think, it ties in with the control element. It ties in with, um, you know, working things to his own profit rather than edifying the body, like you mentioned earlier, Steve. Stephen. Yeah, yeah. I got a little bit of construction going on right down below me. So I'm trying to mute that out. I don't know if you guys can hear it or not. Um, so if you can't, then I'll just leave it on, but it's distracting me. Um, Should we, um, do you think it's worth uh, looking at some of the other kinds? I mean, yeah. we're going to have to unfold all of this probably right. at a later date more, but. Um, I wanted to just kind of read a couple of things. If it's okay, I wanted to read a couple of things that I'm feedback we're getting right now. Uh, David Peterman says, leadership, not lordship, is what the pastor needs to provide for those he ministers, which means we have to be patient with the fellowship of the people, shepherds, not kings. Amen. Really yeah. agree with that. Um, Raleigh Hill says, um, weak leaders are abusive. Strong leaders are gracious, meek, and mm -hmm. true. A strong leader can take differing views and apply biblical yeah. truth That's in good. different difficult situations. Um, 
and we have we have others as well. I, I apologize if I'm not getting to your. I can't see all of the comments, just so everybody knows. But I am trying to acknowledge what we see. So there yeah, are sure. that. That's the broad one. That one becomes very subjective if we're not careful. People say, "Well, you know, I didn't like the way that that pastor preached. He preached too authoritatively. Maybe he wasn't abusive, but someone just labeled him at that." And and so we're going to have to figure that and, out. And ju just a quick note: we do have a whole episode on leadership and lordship, and yeah. you know, I, I don't remember what number it is—three or four, somewhere around there. We did Something we like deal that, with yeah. that. There are other types of abuse that happen in churches, though. Um, that are, I think, even, well, they're certainly more specific. They're easily identified, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, but they've become, they've become the, the biggest conflict in some circles because of how they've been handled, and that's been the physical or sexual abuse that's taken place by leadership. Um, manipulation is one thing, but man and manipulation always precedes the other types of abuse most of the time most of the time uh, i think i think it'd be good for us today to consider that we need to take a right approach to abuse allegations um accusations that are made and we need to know how to deal with that not just in today's age but just biblically right some sometimes we say well it was handled different back then and i i don't know that that i don't know that that flies you know so maybe we could transition and talking about that this morning. Go ahead, Martin. <laughs> well, I think um, we kind of saw three levels of response, how we respond as an individual pastor, how the church should respond. And then, um, and this is something I don't think we'll get into too much today, but how a victim can respond. But I think we want to put a lot of emphasis on how the pastor and how the congregation as a whole, because this is, you know, congregations have a lot to answer for as well. You know, a, a pastor may be the one who uh, is guilty of the abuse, but there's a lot of congregations who let it happen. Um, mm. I think we need some, we need godly men with backbones who will respectfully stand up and say, you know, this can't happen to my family. Mm. This can't happen to their family. And, and biblically and appropriately, deal with these things um and just to make it clear there are there are things that take place which are criminal and need to be dealt with by the police like these aren't mm -hmm. internal issues there are there are accusations right. of sexual physical abuse 911 is going to be one of the first responses has to be yeah. has to be and that that's and worth saying it's worth saying me, up front me, yeah it's also worth saying this is that abuse isn't just a IFB problem or a church problem it is a human problem, but in saying that, before people write me off, because I have learned, and I always want to learn about this topic, to put emphasis on, hey, church abuse is going on, or there's abuse going on here, that doesn't in and of itself minimize that, that it is happening there. In other words, Correct. we are today talking about abuse within the church because we're pastors and we're talking about that, but we do recognize it is within the church because humans are in the church, and it is in other segments and areas of life but to say hey let's focus on this is a good thing that's a good thing to do to say let's stop church abuse let's not let that go on mm -hmm. um but i think this is something you know, i feel pretty strongly about story. yeah you know when we call it an ifb issue or a church issue then we look for an ifb centric solution which yeah. misses the heart 
And so we can put all kinds of checks and balances into our churches, but if we're not getting to the heart of it, then we Mm -hmm. may see people, you know, run out of an IFB church and they'll go and do the same thing in the Boy Scouts or they'll do it in a sports environment at a local school or whatever. The the issue is one of the heart. And, And we're specifically talking about church environments, but it's more than a specific issue with us. And, and so mm-hmm. I think it's and, worth, you know, making sure it's a heart solution, and, not a structural organizational one alone, although that does need to be looked at. Right. Let me push back a little bit on that and just say, because it, it is thrown out there that there is a systemic problem um, even within IFB and that, that, you know, I, I'm bothered by that on one level, but I, I will say this. I think our discussion of emotional and spiritual abuse does give way to the fact that those are breeding grounds for a physical abuse situation, which those are awful, or sexual, physical, sexual. Um, those are awful. So, you know, per, perhaps the answer then is that the problem is less systemic with IFB as it is with spiritual leadership, that if you don't handle that properly and wise, it could lead to to awful, awful things. Tom, right, what would be your perspective on it? Because you've got quite a long view and you've, you know, as far as the whole issue of it being systemic, you know, I've seen things, but I am I still feel very much like an outsider in terms of um, colleges and schools. Like I, you know, but you, you've got a, a broader view than I would. I think so much of that comes back to what you're used to and what you think is fine and what you, but I think the larger doctrinal issue is that there's an old statement, and it's not original with me. Orthodoxy produces orthopraxy. When we, when we believe right, we live right. What we, how we live, is directly con- tied to what we believe. Doctrine and practice are tied together. And one of the ways you can realize there is wrong doctrine is when there's wrong practice. Wrong doctrine eventually produces wrong practice. So it isn't an entirely invalid argument to look at the Independent Baptist movement and say you guys must be wrong because there is abuse present, and in some cases. It's, it's, it's genuine to say it's systemic. It's produced by the system because it's advocating or teaching something that's wrong and so that it comes out in how it's practiced. Um, but, but, but the larger context, right? Context is in brackets. It expands out in brackets. So there's that context that the independent Baptist movement has taught and believes some things like, you know, I think Steve mentioned individual soul liberty. We've been weak on that for probably my lifetime and it shows up in how we try to as pastors try to control people try to take the place of the holy spirit but then the context outside of that is the fact this is a human problem right i mean the roman catholic church just came out with a report in the nation of france that just in the past just in my lifetime there have been like hundreds of thousands of cases of abuse in france just in my lifetime just by the roman catholic priests so it it it, there there are layers to that if you will Okay, so I, I did. I did write about this a fair amount of schizophrenic. I've got several mm-hmm. chapters about it. So the two things here. Number one would be uh, the issue of a pastor who is immoral, uh, and and not just immoral but abusive in that. Um, the other thing is the issue of how do you handle it when it when it pops up in your church, uh, whether it's a leader or a member, and I think that those are the things that are worth saying constructively, okay, how do we deal with this going forward? How do we deal with this appropriately? Um, I have I have a policy. It doesn't matter who you are. It, it's, it doesn't matter what you do in the church, but I am bound by law to report, and I will do that. 
Yeah. And let me ask you guys this. I'm not asking for specifics because that's that's actually probably not legal to do either, uh, or at least not wise. But how many of you guys have ever had to make a phone call to the police? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's and that the issue becomes is when when we take that position and then all of a sudden a situation comes along and then we don't we don't follow through. Does that make sense? Like like now this person I, I'm really close to this one, so I'm going to handle this differently. That's where the that's where the cover ups happen am i am i on the right track here cover-up is i think the root of so much and i know the passage that love covereth the multitude of sins i get that but there's a clear new testament let's go back to the word of god there's a clear new testament admonition in the pastoral epistles them that sin rebuke before all mm -hmm. and i write about this in schizophrenic and got a lot of heat from it when it came out a few years ago the only time I ever heard that verse preached in about in my entire life, it was a glaring absence. I never heard it preached about them that sin a rebuke before all. The only time I ever heard it preached was it was preached exactly opposite of what it means. And it was preached as the way that if you're an accuser and you accuse someone falsely, that false accuser needs rebuked before everybody, which is the exact opposite of what that passage says. It was a very manipulative, wow. controlling message. And but it's in that kind of a kind of an atmosphere where abuse that I'm talking about sexual and physical abuse, that abuse thrived in that atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And it's no accident because the only thing that was preached as negative was we shouldn't be publicizing things. We shouldn't wash our dirty linen in public, these sorts of things. And it goes directly contrary. I realize every age, every culture has its strengths and weaknesses, but it directly it goes directly contrary to the word of God. The word of God says to 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 talk about it publicly, to reveal it publicly to label it when it's done. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's important. Um, I, I will say that, that you, where you get into the, the dicey part of this is when, if you've ever had to do this before, is that I've had to take things that I didn't even necessarily believe were true and make the phone call. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Had, yes. Because it came to me and I've had help from local. I, I went with, a local lawyer and it was one of the best decisions that I ever made. I said, I need help doing this because frankly, I'm a pastor. I'm not an investigator. I need to know what the law says. I need to know what I'm bound by law to do. And I need to know how to do this. And that was one of the best things I could have possibly done in, in those situations was to do it, do it carefully, do it thoroughly, uh, do it ethically. And then after that, see, reporting something doesn't mean it happened. You have to then wait and put it in the hands of those who are capable investigators. And that's where I think we get dinged a little bit with, well, they're not talking about this. I'm like, I can't talk about it right now. I have now turned it over to those who have the power to do something about it. Yeah, but I don't and, think I don't think that's as much of an egregious problem. That gets chatter, but I don't think that's as much of an egregious problem in our history as independent Baptists over the past 50 years as okay. genuine, verifiable abuse that is ignored. One guy's move from one ministry to the next, nothing's ever said. And, and so consequently it just metastasizes and hurts mm -hmm. more and more people. I agree. What you're talking about is a problem for how you're perceived as the leader as not dealing with something when you are. But I think mm -hmm. the bigger, more important issue is historically we've covered up an, an enormous amount of things. Historically, say, historically but not predominantly. Well, Am I, I mean, no, say, I don't agree with that. Let, let me say this, though. Th this is where, as pastors, it's time to be a man. You know, we we act like we're, you know, these men of God. That's, and I shouldn't say act like because, I, you know, I, I'm not opposed to that phrase. But if we know of abuse and we know of someone, 
we shouldn't be afraid to publicly call that out and even sometimes use someone's name. I have a preacher friend of mine that knows of an abuse situation, and this abuser guy has went different places, and this preacher friend of mine knows of it, knows of the guy, and every time he hops another place, he calls that place and says, that guy's a snake, look out for him. And we can't be afraid to do that. If men do nothing, if men stay passive, people get hurt. And we can't be afraid of that because, I wanna, uh, you know, I, I want to be clear deal with things. And that's Steve, hundred percent agree. I want to be clear on something I just was saying with Tom there before, before you came in. And that is what I said was historically, but not predominantly. What I meant by that was that there have been some well-known situations, but, but have there been a lot of them? Like, are, you know what I mean? Like, did, did that, did okay, I make so that clear? I, yeah. So let me be clear equally in my response. Yeah. Historically yes. in my life, I'm 48 years old, predominantly the okay. majority of the time, abusive, sexual abuse in the church, in the independent Baptist movement has been hidden and covered up. Okay. I, I think, I really think I know what I'm talking about there. I've done my homework. Okay. And that's fair. I, I wanted to make sure, I don't think I wanted to make sure we had the, the clear answer on that. True now, I, but I think it has been true for the past 50 years. I don't know if that, well, I don't know. You have different circles within the independent Baptist right. movement. And, and let me just say, anyone listening or watching, what we're yeah. talking about as preachers is something good preachers do talk about. That's yep. kind of what our podcast is. It's like these yeah. conversations we're having, we, we would have them whether we have this podcast or not. Right. And I have good preacher friends that have had abuse situations in their church where they have called the police. They have put mm -hmm. people in jail. They have dealt with it right. I mean, I, I know my instance wasn't something within the church. It was a family. It was, I was counseling and there was abuse within that family. And I took it right to the authorities. Have to. And I'll tell you what, too, we as independent Baptists, we, we have this like innate fear of the government. It's part of us being Americans as well. But I'll tell you what, when I called and the government got involved, the DFS, and all of that, it really, they were helpful and mm -hmm. they, they were doing a good job. And, and I know people in that realm can abuse their authority as well yeah. sometimes, but, but, you know, Tom, what you were saying, I don't disagree with that, especially you have a, a lot more of a historical context than I do because um, you're so much older. But, um, but the fact of the matter is pastors deal with it. I, 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 like I said, there's people in jail now because a pastor said, no, this ain't happening. You're not doing mm -hmm. There that. are good examples of how it's been dealt with well. Yeah. And I think that's worth saying that it's not, um, there are many bad examples, but there are many good examples of how it was responded to. We mm -hmm. talked earlier, before before we started this on air, about David's failure in dealing with Amnon correctly. Uh, he mm -hmm. failed Tamar, he failed Amnon, he failed, right? He The Bible says he was wroth, that's the word it uses. He was furious about it. But he did nothing, from what I can tell in the Bible record, to either restrain Amnon or, or I mean, let, let's set aside, and I don't want to set this aside. This is where we might need to come back on another podcast. He did nothing to help Tamar, but, but leaving that alone for the moment, he did nothing. Eli is the same way, right? So his mm -hmm. sons were sexual mm -hmm. abusers as priests, as leaders in the congregation. He did nothing to restrain them. When you have that, authority or power in that situation, you are compelled to, to, to seek justice, whether it's legally or biblically or some combination of both of those. Mm -hmm. Tom, you get a lot of uh, agreement here. I want 
in our feedback on Facebook. Um, and, and I, I want to make clear, I, I do agree as well. Um, okay. So Just following up, sorry, I wanted to follow up on something Tom said, mm -hmm. and maybe this will open a whole kind of worms up. So in the situation with David and Tamar, Absalom, Amnon, because David didn't respond to the situation appropriately, um, Absalom took it upon himself to deal with it inappropriately. And that eventually led to civil war. I mean, that, that's, you know, it, it was a terrible thing. And, and in the process, Tamar, the victim, I think, ended up suffering even more. Like, because the situation wasn't done with, dealt with right, mm -hmm. and then it was dealt with wrong, she was a victim several times over. Okay. You know, I wonder if in churches not dealing with it right, I think there are some who are now dealing with it in the wrong way mm. and victims are once again becoming victims twice over. Do you think there's, there's kind of a, that's true. Do you think we are seeing that today? I think we definitely have to go down the trail of this conversation because that's a very clear biblical illustration of extremes that we shouldn't follow. You had on one side, you had David's inaction and on the other side, you had Absalom's overreaction and it resulted in complete chaos. It resulted in complete um, a, a mess, and it re resulted in the death of David's children. Uh, I mean, what a what a tragic thing! So this that story is worth going going on. Maybe we could make some application to how things are well, being handled today. I would push back slightly on the overreaction on the Absalom side, and I don't think Absalom. You could say whether he hand, you know, I. But in the well, he sense didn't handle it be, right. To well, me, that's murder is not well, right. You can't take murder, it in your yeah, own hands. Yeah. I mean, you can say you would want to do that if your kids were abused. I, I understand right. the, the, a, a that. rapist. A rapist. I get it. No, I get it. I get it. Death penalty. And, but and you can't make a case that Absalom wrap a millstone around someone's neck and drop them in the depths of the sea. I, I don't. There's a difference between vigilante. vigilante justice. There you go. There's a difference between a vigilante and the justice system. Right. So yes, we we have that principle of tying a millstone around someone's you know feet and dumping them in the sea, and on an individual basis. There are situations where I have wholeheartedly thought, you know what, I'm going to get my yeah. deacons together and we're going to go and obey the scriptures. But Ooh. that's that's not that's not just very American of you, Martin. Very American, <laughs> very John Wayne of you. But hey, Steve, no, by the way, I, I want that's to not know, justice. That's, that's vigilanteism. And, and we we can't endorse, you know, endorse that. And thanks for bringing that up, though, Steve, because that we the sentiment is agreeable. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, but okay, but here's the thing. Okay, so so what we're careful of, and, and guys, this is where we need to dive into some solutions because we talk about this and we've got to really get to a point where we say, okay, what is there? what are the pitfalls to avoid? What's the pathway to take on this? And I think what's happening today by and large in the, whether it's independent Baptist movement or otherwise, uh, is that we're seeing the rage response and we're seeing that Absalom response. And though it's not physically murdering people, it certainly is, uh, any accusation is true. Now, I'm not careful now, okay? I'm not going to get myself in trouble here, but we got to bring it up to talk about it. And yeah. so what we do is we bring things up and we just say, well, this accusation was made, and what does the cancel culture mob do? They pile on before there's any justice, and the excuse is, well, there is no justice, the system's broken, so we're going to take it into our own hands. That's Absalom. That was Absalom's right. problem there. 
And it's just as egregious as David's response, which was inaction, which is unacceptable as well. Yeah. And I think there's, and again, there's, there's a lot of what we're saying now that could be misunderstood. It's, it's incomplete. Mm. I get that. <laughs> but I think that, you know, pastors are accused of trying to be the Holy Spirit, you know, and then mm. force things upon people. But I think sometimes we, we may not see the justice we would like in this life. Mm-hmm. But then I think we need to have the confidence that the God of all the earth will do right. You know, the judge of all the earth will do right. And one day, you know, if someone isn't judged appropriately by human standards, you know, God is going to hold them accountable. And, and I think for those who feel like the process wasn't dealt with properly, maybe there is some comfort to draw in that. And again, a lot of what we're saying, I understand may be misunderstood or incomplete, but you know, that there are times when we have to leave it to the Lord and, um, and, and I think that may help with not what some may say is, is a, an overreaction to a false accusation. Does well, that make sense? About, like, I don't yeah, want to. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I think there, there is, you know, and it, it, you get beat up for saying something that I'm about. I, you should never I, minimize. Let's, let's just stop. Stop no, walking no, no, on eggshells. No, you should stop never, tiptoeing. Yeah, let's no. just do this. Yeah, you should <laughs> never. Tough. You should never take someone's um, abuse lightly and you should never minimize it. There is true hurt there. But I will say this, to me, it breaks my heart if people will define abuse in a way that is not even abuse, then it minimizes the true abuse. It minimizes those that are really hurt. And I don't want to minimize anyone's abuse, but you know, I, I don't know, at some point, Mm. Yeah. So, so being told that, that you have to follow a dress code is not abusive. Is that what you're saying? Oh, well, I'll say that. I, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> my I, wife and I, know. I, we, we talk about well, this all the that's time. All in the she context of, that, that's in the context of control too, though. I, okay. I don't know if I would blanket statement that maybe, I don't know, but, well, yeah, but I mean, if you, if you sign a handbook and you say you're going to abide by rules and then later on you say it's abusive. Yes. You know, I mean, okay, so yes and no. But we got we Mostly that no. again. You made a good point. We're talking. We're going back to the spiritual and emotional side, and we don't want to confuse that. So here, here's what you have to do: if if an allegation is made, a serious allegation, and there's oh, even any the, allegation, any, any allegation, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exa- yeah. Thank you, thank you. And so I was about to say any any possible hint. Uh, in other words, you can't know the truth, whatever. You've got to go to the right people on that, and you've got to follow the law, and you've got to make the call. You have to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think from the church and, perspective, and, if they're in position of leadership or whatever, they need to immediately step down until things are resolved one way or another. And yeah, sometimes you need an independent investigation. Sometimes you need yeah. somebody that's not in your church, yes. especially if you're an organization, institution. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there has to be some some reputable someone involved in that you know, outside of the legal part of it, just for the, just for the reputation of the organization of God's church of God's people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, again, this might get me in trouble because I, I should never preface something like that because it makes you guys nervous and everyone else nervous, but you have no idea. It, it is wrong <laughs> thinking. It is wrong thinking to say, this is really bad abuse and you were abused down here that that this is still very hurtful okay but i'm just going to say there are there are levels that step up something 
Yeah. I hate emotional abuse. I hate spiritual abuse. Those people hurt by those things are truly hurt. Yeah. I, I have a, a guy I'm ministering to, and he was hurt bad emotionally, spiritually. He was invited to our church. On the way to our church, he stops and weeps and pounds his steering wheel. He told me this story, and he said, I just can't do it. I don't even want to go back into church. And it, it chokes me up to think that someone's that hurt by spiritual abuse, and now I'm able to minister him and help him. So when I'm about to say what I say, I'm not minimizing people that have been hurt spiritually and emotional on that level, but I'm just saying when it comes to physical, sexual, especially against a child, that's disgusting. The And again, again, I'm, I'm, I don't want to put degrees to it, but there, there is – and that's where I think sometimes what happens is, especially when we talk about involving the law and things of that nature, those two get muddied together because yeah, they right. both have sincere hurt you're and right. they are together in a sense. I mean, that's what this episode's about, church abuse. And we are dealing with both of those things. But okay, so there we, is the millstone. In other words, the millstone mentality is. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So I think so. We, we call the police. We involve an outside investigation, the from a legal sense, and and certainly where we can bring in independent investigation um, of, of respected you know leadership. Mm -hmm. um, what do we? What well, what else then do we do? Um, well, might, I, you know, I think professional counselling for the the abused. It might help. Yeah, so, if a, it might help if a, it might help if a pastor had enough ethics and character to not cover up sin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so don't cover sin. I mean, I hate to be oversimplistic yeah, about it, but no. come on guys. Russ, I have talked to, uh, you know, I was active on the forum, on the fundamentalist forum years ago. I have several chapters on, on this in schizophrenic. I have talked to more people than I can possibly shake a stick at yeah. who have been deeply hurt as Steve, Steve so well described. And it was not, it was not, not only not necessary, but they were deeply hurt because someone else had mishandled the abuser previously and they continued mm -hmm. it somewhere else or continued it on. This is why you have got to, when you have, are in authority, when you're dealing with a situation, an abusive situation, not only have you got to cover yourself legally, but you've got to be scriptural. You've got to do what yeah. God told you to do in the word of God because his flock are sheep. They're at stake. And, and don't handle it alone. Mm-hmm. Insulate yourself. Yeah. That's why God gave you men in your church. That's why God gave you a congregation. And that's a scary thing because that removes some of our power, if you will. Mm -hmm. But we have to be willing to say, okay. And I mean, I've done that before. I've said, look, you know, and I, I go back again to situations I didn't believe to be true, but I had to make the report and I had to be accountable to the church. And I did that. And I'm going to do that. That's how I want to handle things going forward is making everybody aware. And God has worked through that, I believe to create confidence, to give confidence from the congregation to the, you know, and, and people have confidence in their leadership, confidence in their pastor, et cetera. But more than that, they know things are going to get handled right. And they, they know that it, at the very least, we're going to be transparent about some things. Um, so that, that's that, you know, we have to find a way to transition this conversation. And it's, <laughs> our, our, by the way, our listeners have been doing a great job. Those who are watching on Facebook right now, um, you know, investigation needs to be truly independent and competent. Agreed. Um, the, uh, 
David Peterman gives a good comment. He says it's quite a different conversation, dress code versus criminal sexual crimes in the present culture. It's too easy to not keep this pendulum from swinging too far. Yeah. Uh, I think I understand that comment and, and agree with him. Um, and, we, and that's that's relevant. So we, we know we, we have to do certain things. Um, like you said, this is part one. And so we're going to have to find a way to, to kind of bring this all together. Um, but let's maybe uh, talk Yeah, we do. We do. But there's just so much more to cover. I, I, yeah. I really want to, I really want to spend some time talking about how to help people yeah. who have we been doing. abused to respond yeah. biblically. And I, and I think that needs its own podcast. There's, there's, well, that's what it I can't be thinking. just, it can't be just a, a, an adjunct on the end. That no. is such a hugely important subject. Yeah. But, but what we can the, do. The topic we, of bitterness needs to be touched on and sure. we probably don't have time left in yeah. this, in, in this to deal. That's with what it. I'm saying. No, I, I'm saying I like to postpone that. So we also, probably the main message I would send out is that there's, there's, yeah, anyway, well, let's leave it there before we unravel something we can't tie up. Yeah, because well said. We, okay. we, we've been dealing with this. this. Part two of this is not next week either. That's not in our plans unless we adapt our plans. I don't know. I right. We'll talk about that off air, I guess. But uh, next week, this. Yeah. This. Yeah, you guys oh, can yeah, have it without Brother me. Russ. <laughs> it's November, my friend. <laughs> next week, he doesn't care about ministering to hurting people. He just wants to go shoot Bambi. Absolutely. Well, what do you think? churches should do so what's the congregation's responsibility in this because as pastors rightfully we take a lot of heat for responding inappropriately but what can the congregation do Mm -hmm. well the congregation the men need to be men um you know you have to stand what does that look like you've said that several times spell it out it's to you have a beard now so you can talk about being a man Uh, thank you (laughs) You, you waited this whole time to say, use that line, didn't you, Mark? You've had that. Two years. You've had that loaded up. Um, no, it's that men will act justly and look at what's there instead of, you know, we live in a snowflakey society where it's like any kind of pressure or difficulty, you know, it, it's like talk to your pastor. I, I, I try my hardest on every level, ever since I started pastoring, not to be a Lord over God's flock. I haven't been perfect. And you, I'm a bundle of emotions. A lot of times you guys know that, but you can't just, you got to be man enough to talk to your pastor. You got to be man enough to talk to the men in your church and to evaluate what's really there rather than, Oh, you know, we just being a man that doesn't like conflict. That just doesn't make sense. That's why brother Russ is going to go hunt and kill Bambi because it's manly to to, to kill harmless creatures, you know? Um, Bambi no, but, didn't actually get but, shot. Bambi. I'm, yeah, I'm looking for you. Let me preface that, though. It's it's gentle. It's being a gentle man. It's not this testosterone Christianity, this abuse of masculinity either. It's to say, no, I'm not going to bend. I'm not going to ignore. Yeah, yeah, I, but. I, I, love, gonna, I think Micah 6.8 is... is Good yeah, for this. Good. He says, he has showed the old man what is good and what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Mm-hmm. And if men behave in that way, you know, it takes courage to do justly, to yeah. live with justice, to pursue justice, but there's, also to do it with mercy and humility. From um, the perspective of that church member, too, if I could say, there's really two scenarios I think you could find yourself in predominantly. One is where the pastor's not handling it right. You got to go say, hey, man. You know, that's it. But there's another where the pastor has the same heart 
And I think that's incumbent upon the pastor to develop that mentality of openness and say, you know, welcoming because, yes. because church that has to be trained. Amen. And, and I, I'm not criticizing church members. I'm saying that if you don't Amen. purposefully create an environment in your church of conversation and, and engagement, they're not going to feel comfortable and they're going to come to you defensively when they could yep. have come to you and said, Hey, pastor, I trust you. You're my friend. You're my friend. I think you should know about this. How should we handle this? And it becomes constructive instead of combative. Very important. And fathers need to train their sons, Mm -hmm. you know, because how much of of what do we see or what we see is rooted in, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the upbringing. Now parents are not responsible for all the sins of their children, but if we train our sons to, to treasure others and to value others, that's a part of that prevention. You know, you, you kind of break that chain of, of sin, which can go on through generations. Steve, I think does a great job on that. I'm going to say that up front with your kids. I think you do a fantastic job with your sons because, and that's what I want to do. I have three boys. Um, yeah. Raising them right. Obviously uh, the congregation needs to have an open and honest dialogue with their pastor. Um, and so pastors, we can't seclude ourselves. We can't, we can't uh, create a defensiveness. We have to create an openness um, and churches, I, I would, you know, this is again, a simple thing, but we've got to teach our congregations to know the Bible and the word of God and to be willing to make application. I believe in application. Don't you, Steve? Come on now. Amen. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There so you those go. are, those are some things. And again, st- well, go ahead, Tom. I don't want to cut you off here. Let me throw you one just practical thought and maybe it, it should have come earlier. There is things you can do as a pastor in your church to protect against such things by how you organize by how your security, you know, <laughs> patrols and by by cameras and by your policies of having two adults in, you know, in a room when there's children. There's practical things you can do to help defend against abusive situations having the potential to occur. You can't prevent them entirely, but you can foster a climate that makes them much more difficult. And I think that's just good leadership and good pastoring. Yeah. So let me let me ask this question and, and we're trying to wrap things up, but I'm going to open this and this might be dealt with more. And I won't throw it to specifically to one of you, but someone's listening right now. He's a young pastor. Maybe his training trained him to be controlling and, you know, all that stuff. What advice do you give to a young man that's seeing that maybe some of the things he was taught and the way he's led thus far is controlling and abusive and he hasn't dealt right. And this is working on him to convict him that I, you know, here I've been a Lord and I should be leading. Does he publicly deal with that with his church right away? Or what, what counsel would you guys give on that? Can I say something as the youngest pastor? Yeah. Um, I want to be careful how I say it. Um, I've had the privilege of pastoring the church that was pastored and started by my grandfather. Um, I would say any, any adjustments and changes in whether it's protocol uh, or um, uh, or mentality, philosophy would be a good word. Uh, we we make them graciously, and God will give opportunity for you to prove yourself strongly. There will be opportunities along the way for you to do something and to set a standard and to set a precedent going forward. But I think in the changing and moving the moving things in the right direction, we do that graciously. And so find a way uh, if, you know, if we're not careful, <clears throat> the way that we deal with it is we burn the old system down and we 
everyone who came before me was wrong. Uh, when we see clearly in the illustration of David how wrong he was on numerous occasions, not the least of which was his situation there with um, Amnon, Tamar, and Absalom, and, and how that all uh, worked itself out in, in a very sad way. So we have to graciously move forward. We have to identify things to improve and to build on. We do that, and then watch God. I, I promise you this will happen. Watch God give you the opportunity to be an example. Amen. And I yeah. think that's I think it's a that's the best possible way. Now there there will be extreme situations where you say, I don't have time for that and I've got to deal with this. And you know what? I've got to be the leader. I've got to be the man of God. So I'm going to do what's right no matter whether it ends in chaos or in a smooth sailing. But I think by and large, moving forward, be gracious in your move and then be direct and be confident when the time comes for action. So let me give another angle of an answer to that question. And I agree with everything you just said, Russ, everything you just said. Um, let me answer it from the, from the spiritual side of it. I don't mean to say you're not being spiritual, Russ, you are. Uh, yeah, that was my philosophical. Um, I think when you're a young man, you find yourself in the situation, either you've grown up in that environment or that's the way you have started your leadership and you realize it's wrong, or you take a church or you take a ministry or you're in one or something. I think you've got to come back to Christ. So how does, how does Jesus Christ, who is Christ? He's full of grace and truth. Mm-hmm. How did he lead? How did he deal with people? How did he take a stand? You know, he, his life was marked by compassion, but it wasn't that he didn't have a backbone. Mm-hmm. I think if I could give any answer to that question, Brudnack, it would be to point a young man to Jesus Christ and say, study Christ, learn Christ, live Christ. And as, as Christ as Paul says, Christ in me, as Christ is formed in you, who you are as a Christian, in your responses to things, in your leadership, in your fellowship, will be Christ-like. And I think Jesus Christ is the answer to that question. Amen. Amen. I like that. Martin, today you prepared a letter for us. I'd like to ask you to read that letter and take us into our wrap up for this episode of Dear Church Podcast. It's been a good one. All right, Dear Church. Within the walls of our buildings and under the influence of our ministries, safety and virtue should be assumed. With us, the vulnerable should feel most protected and secure. Abuse, in all its forms, simply should not happen, whether it be physical, emotional, or sexual. Sadly, in too many ministries, predators have found their way into positions of leadership and influence. They have destroyed lives and communities. Abuse happens in every corner of society, in homes, sports, Hollywood, politics, and the list goes on. It is everywhere we turn because of the wickedness of humanity. It shouldn't surprise us, even though it disgusts us. But the church should be different. And for many of us, it is. Many of us have never experienced abuse of these kinds. But for too many others, church became a place of nightmares. Now, we all must do our part to set things right. Those who are fighting for the right cause should do so righteously and with meekness. Those turning a blind eye should get in the battle to protect others and right the wrongs that have occurred. Now, we cannot devolve into indiscriminate witch hunts or walk away from everything because of the wickedness of some. But we must ensure the right policies in our own ministries. We must prevent harm with every tool at our disposal. We must respond properly when abuse does occur. We must ensure appropriate consequences for the guilty, both legal and ministerial. 
and we must prayerfully provide healing for the wounded. By God's grace, may we keep the vile abuse of the enemy out of our lives, our camps, our colleges, and let's ensure our churches are what God intended them to be. Your friends, Martin, Stephen, Tom, and Steve. Thank you.